right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to NGF News. Uh, we got our latest global developments episode today. Uh, before we start, though, I hope you guys like that you like us using the video. You know, we got our YouTube section. You get to see our faces and hear us talk and see the emotions. So I hope it's a little bit more engaging for y'all. Um, we hope we've been having fun with it. So this has been a really good start. But we got two good topics today. The first one is uh, Janet Yellen's visit to Beijing and the British firms look to invest in Europe to curb Brexit woes. Yep. So we're going to go ahead and start with the uh, British firms going into England and then moving on to Yellen's visit to China. So um, German data has revealed that there's been an increase in British companies foreign direct investment in, uh, in Germany when compared to prior periods before Brexit. And since 2016, more than 300 British businesses have relocated uh, most of their operations to the Netherlands in order to avoid trade conflicts between um, Great Britain and uh, the rest of the EU countries. So post-Brexit, there's been a up uproar of businesses like, what the hell? How, how can yeah. we conduct business? This is, this <laughs> is impossible because of now post-Brexit, there's been a lot of red tape so there's a lot of paperwork to do. There's a lot of checks, controls, um, lots of regulations to follow. And it makes business, it makes business in England um, just impossible because how you, you lose out on that open market that you once had in the EU. So in, they're struggling. They're struggling in England. And the EU is like, well, we, we told you. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really fascinating. British executives are actually setting up production facilities in Germany um, to try and remove these trading frictions. Um, it's not really working. I mean, British firms have opened 174 direct investment projects within Germany within the last year, compared to 50 in 2015. And this is happening even in the Netherlands as well. And in France, foreign investment is up 25% in France, about 7% in Germany, 21% in the United States, which is kind of fascinating but only 1% up from 2016 levels in Britain. So they're seeing a struggle within their own country, and then they're like, all right, we got to now start looking outwards because yep. there's a lot of tension within uh, British politics and, and, and economists that, that recognize that they are not doing so hot at the moment with Brexit, and they have to kind of restructure their economy. Yep. And there's been, I want, I want to highlight one case that I read, um, during while, while I was reading all that. And it was talking about three P innovations. Um, and I did some more re more research into what they do. And they're an engineering consulting firm in the UK that produce, um, equipment and machinery for before it was for the UK, well, for the EU. And they have lost a lot of contracts within the EU because of the amount of, um, customs checks and delays at the border. So they're losing out onto competition within the EU. So, and, and it's more because they are now outside of the, the EU, it would be more cheaper to buy things within the EU, such as mach machinery and equipment, rather than having it to outsource it because now the, the manufacturer has to account for things like these delays. So, and, there's been this thing where I've also read where companies and people within the EU tend to now buy more things within the EU rather than the UK because they don't trust um, UK suppliers, which is kind of 
like fascinating really interesting because it's like they left now we don't trust them and we don't want their stuff and and it's causing a lot of problems for you know i'm not worried about the government of the uk because this was just like they shot their own foot type thing i'm more worried about the businesses and the people who want to be entrepreneurs within the uk that's that's who I'm more worried about because they're they're the backbones of the British economy. Even even big corp, big and small corporations are a, the backbone of the United Kingdom. And I mean, just look at what post COVID recovery looked like for the United Kingdom. Who was who was dominating post COVID? All all G seven countries except for the UK. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a sad law. Like it's sad to see the one of the great world economies start to tank. I mean, we I think we discussed this in an earlier episode, but for the first mm-hmm. quarter of 2023, they were the only G20 country to have a negative GDP growth, which includes Russia. So, and with all the sanctions happening in Russia, that's just like, it shows what's going on within their country. And so a lot of people are very scared within British, uh, British economists, British people, uh, British entrepreneurs, there's repeated temporary tax breaks that are being introduced to entrepreneurs and businesses to kind of help cope with Brexit, what's going on right now. But the and more this tax is breaks. From, this is from the UK? Yeah, it's from uh, the UK. Tax breaks on their people. On their own people. And so you are paying less taxes, yes, but right now uh, is not the time to keep imposing tax breaks on these large corporations when you have no money coming in period and so that's that's what i was thinking i'm like i'm I'm sure that's that's a great incentive right and to to start a business in the uk but it's like okay now how do we deal with the the export problem now yeah what problem does this solve (laughs) (laughs) nothing really like it, it it like tax breaks are great in an economy that is going up at the moment, you know, but an economy that's going down, you don't really want to give too many breaks, especially when you have no money coming in. Now, what they're doing is fantastic to go and build, you know, production facilities, manufacturing facilities, invest in projects within other countries. That's great because that's going to start bringing in tax revenue. It's going to start creating, well, the goal is to start creating more, you know, better relations with these with the EU. But that's not really happening at the moment. You know, there's still so much friction within the EU and between UK over trading, over, you know, investing, direct foreign investment. It's just it's not working out well for them so far, but it's a good idea to help curb what Brexit's doing. It, it's a good idea to try to keep businesses within, but again, personally, if I were to start a business there, I just feel as if there were no incentive. If there was, now I want to go on to the thing where I want to go back to where we talked about the green and red lanes for Ireland. Yes. For that episode. I want I want to go back to that because why can't the UK expand on the green lane, red lane? And for before we go on, uh, a quick summary of the green lane, red lane. A green lane is all products from the EU going within to the island. Uh, from the UK going to the island, or was it the EU to the island? Yeah, it, the, the green lane is just the EU 
to Ireland. The red lane is through the UK to Ireland. Correct. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, why can't the UK come up with this same program, but for themselves? It would <laughs> alleviate a lot of things. I, I don't know. I've done like hours worth of research on what the UK is trying to do. And I still don't understand why. Of course, they want this idea of so- a sovereignty. Of course, they can keep it. But when it comes to economics... It just doesn't make sense. You had all these benefits. You can maintain these benefits. If you want to keep some of the red tape for some reason, fine. To to have that idea and that feeling of sovereignty. But it's how far do you have to go in order to to just, I I don't know. I'm just just appalled by it. I'm just. (laughs) And, And let's face it too. I mean, how many countries within the EU truly follow what is being brought out by Brussels. All of the different policies that they create for economics. How many of them are truly followed and where EU doesn't EU countries don't take the like the what's the the word for it? Don't take, you know, my country first perspective and we need to do this instead of this. I I it's just not realistic. The UK was doing it. In many ways, having, especially when it came to immigration, they were not listening to EU immigration laws. Germany was, France was not, uh, Hungary was not, you know, it's just some examples. And so it's fascinating to me that they even thought about this in the first place to leave the EU. And now that they're out of it, they're trying to do all the things that they were doing before, but it's like, man, why would you have left if you're just trying to repeat? All of your, I know you want, like you said, you want more financial, you want sovereignty, but there comes a point where they have to look at everything that's going on. It's been three years, and yes, COVID and economic recessions aside, three years, and they haven't been able to come up with any new or good plans except for the ones that were already established when they were in the EU. And that, and that's exactly what blows my mind. It's just. They could copy and paste a lot of things and keep their politics separate from EU politics. Just keep the economics because both the UK and the EU knew that they couldn't lose each other. But yeah, Yeah, I I don't have much else to say because this is just, it's a whole lot of ridiculousness in my opinion. Yeah, it it really is because what, what they're trying to do is bring the United States into the problem. And they're like, Hey, can you, you know, help us with uh, investments and stuff like that. And the U S is like, dude, you're fighting a war right now. And we're basically supplying for you and and for the rest of Europe, you're going to have to wait a little bit on, on these investment opportunities. And, and and I think, honestly, I think the best way to start establishing a relationship is to implement the green and red lanes just into, you know, trade with the EU, with France and with Germany and have more individual uh, based trade versus EU based trade, which I think what might be a little bit more incentivized between, you know, the Germans and the French, if they had their own lanes to get from the EU to to Britain or through the Ireland to Britain. Um, so I think just more individual trading would be much better on their their side. But that's you know, and a whole a whole other issue that they have to sort out. 
Right. Here's one thing I want to, I just thought of a hypothetical as you were talking, correct? And what I was thinking is, let's say you have a business and you operate, the main operation is an A, which is the UK, location A, we're going to say is UK. Then you have your second uh, head of operations, which is, let's say, in Netherlands, B. B is in the EU, A is the UK. So why shouldn't there be a program where if you operate a business outside of the UK into the EU, enjoy EU economic benefits because you are sub- essentially being a part of the EU economy, right? Yeah. Separate from having UK as like an EU member, but you yourself are like, um, how do I say this? A sponsor, right? Or you get what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to piece this together. It would completely change the definition of what an EU member is because now we're saying that individual people can be EU members, but like businesses. Yeah. uh, Uh, Business entities. That's essentially what the whole thing is, is like business entities who operate in both the UK and the EU enjoy free trade in the UK between the UK and the EU. I think that makes sense. It would have to be an agreement between the UK and the EU for their businesses to do that. But if you are a non, like if you're a non-registered business, then you can't enjoy that benefit. I think it would be a step in the right direction. If that makes sense. You're looking at like tax and trade benefits. I'm just looking at them as separate entities rather than the entirety of the UK and the entirety of the EU. It's just businesses within the UK. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. That are able to go and, implement themselves within the eu yeah. and and reap those benefits that makes sense that could be like a, a not a contract but like a i i call it a citizenship type deal like a work like a work visa type deal where they're able to move their company yeah, like to work the exactly. EU. yeah yeah like a work pro work visa program for for Except companies business, for entire businesses to just be able to freely go in, well, reduce the amount of red tape because even with a work visa, you you don't really, you do reduce a lot of the red tape, but you still have like a little bit left to get yeah. through. But even then, a little is better than nothing. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's definitely interesting. And I think it'd be something that they could explore in the future to see how businesses can benefit themselves within eu economies but also bring back you know bigger profits for tax for taxes to the to the uk so that could be an interesting dynamic to look at yep yeah so i mean i don't have much else to say on that it's just it's just a one of those things where you just look at continuously and you're like wow look at these idiots it's great because today's July six. You know, it's after July fourth. You know, I think <laughs> for for us for us Americans, it's a little, it's a little fun to poke fun at the British. But in in the end of the day, uh, we all hope that they sort their sort their stuff out because it's it's for the benefit of the world. They're they're a massive economy, so it's for the benefit of the world, the benefit of their people. So hopefully, they can sort that stuff out. Yep. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on because. Uh, you know, sometimes it stinks to do two kind of similar episodes in a row where we discuss China and, and the U.S., but, like, you can't really ignore when someone as high as Janet Yellen visiting Beijing over 
economics and, and how the U.S. and, and Beijing could get uh, and China could get over this hump. So th- this visit, uh, they, they, she just arrived like today or yesterday or something. She's on a four-day visit. Very, very important visit because they're discussing uh, what happened. China just made an imposed export curves on chip-making metals, which most of the uh, the metals that we can get come from places like Africa, the Middle East, and some come from the U.S. But these these these, these curves make it more difficult and, and increase Beijing's competition to create chips. Um, and, and this is not good for U.S. and Europe specifically because they are also increasing their ability to make trips for green or chips for green energy projects, uh, cars, computers, yada yada, all those things. And so Yellen is visiting to just hopefully create a stronger competition uh, and a better relationship with between China and the United States over this issue. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would try to refrain from the word competition. I don't think they're looking for competition. I think what they're trying to do is stop like stop China's attack on what you said, chips and technological advancements. Because what yeah. they're trying to do is they're not trying to promote competition. I think the end goal of Ye- for Yellen is to promote more communication channels into yeah. more um, economic issues versus what Blinken did, which is just promote overall communication and yeah. restart constant communication between the United States and China. What Yellen is trying to do is like, okay, we need to have a form of system where we can discuss where if there's a certain trade dispute or any sort of dispute revolving around economics, we can clearly communicate with one another. Um, what, what else Yellen is trying to do here is more also on human rights and national security um, interests as well. But more yeah. of this visit is just all talk economics and trying to reduce any risk um, between the United States and China over anything economics. So Yeah, well, I, I see, I would usually refrain from using the word competition. But in April, she made a speech that it stressed the importance of fairness in the U.S. economic competition with China. Oh, my goodness. And, and exactly, that's why, like, that's why I said it, because it's like, uh, it, it's, so stu- it's so stupid, because by, by, by using the word competition, you're already creating that line of divide between yourself and China instead of U.S. economic cooperation, which would have been a much better word to use much in better, a speech. Yeah. So that was the only reason why I said it, because I would use the word cooperation, but she said it. Like, Jesus yelling. <laughs> this, this is where I, I get a little annoyed because <laughs> you understand like the relationship we want to rebuild with China. That's important. That's great. But it's wordage that usually pisses off Beijing, and and competition is a word that like they you come into those negotiations, and all of a sudden, uh, what what's the foreign minister's name for China? Oh my goodness, Oof. something uh, something Wang, I forget his name, but he he he's top dog. You know, you're gonna sit, Yellen's gonna sit down with him, and and all of a sudden they're gonna be like, so the U.S. wants to create competition with China. And then it's going to be awkward silence. It's like, oh, He's like, back no, all that's this. not what I meant. Listen, listen. And, and, and to go over what you were talking about with their priorities. So she outlined three priorities in the U.S.-China relationship. 
uh, it, it it says three, but there's like six. <laughs> it's securing <laughs> national security interests and protecting human rights. That's two. Fostering mutual beneficial growth and cooperating on global challenges. That's uh, four. And then they, they introduce little things like climate change and debt distress for the global challenges. So there, there there's technically speaking here, six different things that they are looking at. First, the first one I'd like to discuss, love national security, because obviously protecting our interests and protecting China's interests is important. That's always been an important discussion. But then we get to the human rights section. And look, people, human rights is important. We all, we all, we, I, big human rights advocate. We all want to protect human rights. But right now, if we walk up to China and we say, listen, in order to cooperate with us, you have to give more human rights. And we all know who the people who are they're targeting is the Uyghurs. We want you to basically stop how like putting these people in camps and then we'll start doing economic business. What's the first thing China's gonna do? You can't no. tell me what I could do with my national sovereignty. This is my sovereign land. Or, and then or they're gonna be like, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. That's exactly yeah. what it would be like the, we don't we don't know what you're talking about. All of a sudden, you you did all this work to get four steps forward, and now you're 12 steps back. And it's like, oh my goodness. First things first, priorities. We are on, like, there was a foreign policy magazine that I read uh, about three months ago that basically, like, like generals in the U.S. Army and within China's army are saying that war is on the brinks between Taiwan. And... So, so, in my opinion, the first thing is establishing – first is establishing communications, then establishing national security interests, and then establishing an economic cooperation agreements. Find things that you can agree on at first. Create that relationship and then move into the things like human rights because I get they're important. But what would you rather have, you know, war or solve the human rights issue? Millions of deaths? Or solve a human rights issue. I prefer to curb war with China, the two biggest and strongest militaries in the world, than focusing and, – and I know this is a hot take. And again, I'm a human rights advocate. But millions of deaths over the Uyghurs right now is preferable. We need to establish to solve these establish a relationship to solve these issues before we can start moving into these other issues. So that's that's my hot take for the day, as you usually <laughs> say. <laughs> um, my approach is a little bit different on how to solve the human rights issue. What what I was thinking was we need a form of investment investment incentive for the United States to say, listen. You should work with us, or well, you need to work with us because of A, B, and C. They get A, B, and C done, but it's like, okay, to proceed with D, we need you to fix one of your problems, which is the Uyghur uh, Muslim. You yes. see what I, I mean? See what you mean? It's yeah. It's like they need to see the benefit, and then in order to continue the benefit, but have them locked in, right, with whatever economic deal, partnership, whatever the United States and China comes up with. In order to continue with it, they need to fix something within their own country. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and it's a good step-by-step -step plan because you see like, okay, do steps one, two, and three or A, B, C. And then for D, you have to give up something for us to do this. 
and in, right. in, in, in respect, the United States should also give up. And, and uh, it's not really giving up in the terms of the Uyghurs. It's, uh, I mean, it's like you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. It's like, I'll do this if you do that Yeah, type thing. So they, it, it, they're uh, they're trying to incentivize the U.S. doing the right thing. And then China will, they will have to give them something that in their mind is doing the right thing or something like that. Something that incentivizes them to work together on a relationship. And it's not going to be instant. It's going to take years. It's going to take three, four, five, six, seven years to get to these points because China is just not willing at the moment to give up on anything. And, mm-hmm. and the U.S. Is in, a, is in a corner where it's like, well, we're about to go to war. There's a war in Europe. We have to be leveraging things at the moment, leveraging different things. So it, it's a difficult situation. Here's my thing, right? Why is Yellen even talking about national security interests? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it ties with economics, but... It, it, it kind of does, but it fully doesn't. If she wanted to tie national security with economics, she'd bring a national security expert with her. That yeah, That's, I, that's I, kind I of my... I, this talk should have been purely economics. Blinken did the right thing and began the introduction. Yellen should continue with the economics. Someone else should continue with national security, which should be Blink, ours. Blinken should be the guy or the NSA head. Like who's I, I the think, NSA I head think Austin should from, from the Department Austin. of Defense. Oh, Austin I think he'd be one. Yeah, he'd be a fantastic candidate to discuss all things national security. We should have the experts just focus on their their area of expertise. I think Yellen should just be focusing on economics because we are about to be in a stage where it's no return. It's a very we're in a very dangerous zone now when it in terms of economics, we're we're oh, yeah. targeting each other whether rather than what you were saying before, cooperating with each other, making more money together. Because at the end of the day, the United States and China both want one thing, and it's money. We both want money. We both want resources. Yeah. And you make such a good point because what's the point of having multiple different agencies if we can't use them to do what they specialize in? Gen- exactly. So the director of national security is General uh, Nakasan, and Austin is the secretary uh, the Department of Defense. He's the head, head honcho. Why not use them to discuss national security, use Blinken to establish diplomatic ties, yell at the 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 really the first thing that should have been discussed between them was establishing communications between Yellen and, and uh, Beijing, establishing economic communications. The second thing that should be looking at is is to curb and get rid of all sanctions between the U.S. and China at the moment. All sanctions, like we, you give up all yours, we give up all ours. Done. And then the next thing is striking an economic deal. That should be the next thing, and then discuss things like climate change. But their priorities are, are out of out of balance. It doesn't seem like they're really looking at it strategically to work with China. I think they're taking a multidisciplinary approach with China. U.S. has a lot on their plate they want to discuss, and it's showing in these conversations. And it's not, and China's not going to take us seriously with these conversations because of how out of order we are with our priorities. It's like we want to do five things at once when we can't even do one one thing correctly yeah exactly and, and worth with, with the, what's happening in ukraine right now with russia i mean we almost saw you know a government fall with the wagner group coup and then all of a sudden it's it, it just flipped the switch it went backwards now the u.s is 
still sending in tons of aid to Ukraine. And we're winning that war, but then we got to look at what's happening within our own country at the moment. We still are struggling with inflation. We, we look at South America, we're struggling with helping them curb their economic ties, helping them solve the, the drug crisis, helping them you know, defeat the cartels. And then you look at Europe, and we're struggling to help them economically. Uh, China is not going to see any incentive if we're going to discuss three separate issues with a secretary, with with our treasury sec- uh, secretary. So what you're saying is fix another problem as an example, then come back to China and be like, this is what we've done to support somewhere, someplace economically. Yeah. And then you go back to the table and say, this is what we can do for you, is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Is, this I, is that's smart. Yeah, this is what we do for our allies. Why don't you become one of ours? Period. Because Period. this is what benefits we can offer you. We need to show them what we can do. Yeah, and then the Chinese could be like, "Okay, this is great. This is what we can do for you." It, 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 you know, unfortunately, that's the case of, of of geopolitics. Is is this is what we can do for you? Okay, this is what we can do for you. But we have to prove it. We, we are not proving it at the moment. We're all over the place. We're scatterbrains. We have no, you know, uh, I would say cohesiveness within our own government, first off, and then within our allies. And, and hopefully this the next G20 summit can be one way to strengthen this. G7 was a great start. These talks with China is a great start. We need to start sending representatives to Europe, to Africa more often. We're, we're, we're doing okay. To discuss our relationships with with Latin America, with the Middle East, with Asia, to discuss our relationships because that will prove to China that we're actually looking to be friendly and not just have our own interests in mind. Yep. And and then a final thing I want to top it off here is um, just like the overall expectations of the conversation because I'm reading through like just different news articles and as surprisingly well not surprisingly enough that people uh analysts politicians are like oh you don't we don't expect a lot of things out of this conversation which is just it, it, it's kind of mind-boggling every time i read it because it's like we we're having such high level discussions and you would think you would get at least one thing out right we have a big agenda of things we want as as long as we get one thing on there especially trade tariffs, I, I would be very happy, even if we get one thing. And to have all these other people saying, well, don't expect too much. It's just sad. It's just a sad, sad reality that we live in. And it shows exactly what our leaders are going in with. You know, they're going in expecting nothing, you know. And, and, and yes, you're, you know, if you come out with nothing, you feel better. But at the end of the day, we should be going in expecting to solve a problem. That is the general goal. Why would we spend all of this money, all of our tax dollars, to send these people across the world to solve an issue with our greatest adversary at the moment? And I hate using that term because I don't want to see China as an adversary. They need. I want to see them as a friend, as an ally, or as a mutual partner. At, at, at That's the best case scenario i think that we should be looking for as a mutual partner so it's it's sad yep i think we i think we kind of hit everything that we wanted to say unless there's some final remarks yeah no i i have nothing more to say you know uh keep up with what's going on between these things 
<laughs> you're like I had enough. <laughs> yeah, you 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 come to a point where you read so much about what's going on within the world and American politics, and you realize that, dang, like our goals are just suck. They just suck. Yep. Like they're not they're not ambitious like they used to be. The U.S. is not ambitious anymore is at least is what it feels like and what it looks like between what we're reading no i fully but, i fully agree but we don't want to be pessimistic like our leaders we like optimism there's good things that are coming in the future the world is moving up and up and up so we have to look at it like that we want keep reading keep you know informing yourself on what's going on you know that's what we always you know advertise and encourage you know so please always read news give us something that you guys want to see too please like always like we're always open to hearing things absolutely so with that um we will see you all in the uh in the next episode yeah take care everybody thank you for listening